0: Would you grab a Bible this morning? And we're going to be opening up to the book of John. We're going to be in chapter 4 this morning. So if you uh, need to find a Bible, go ahead and pause this and go get one and come back and and join us. Um, as we're turning there, um, you may have noticed um, across our community that there are uh, Um, Kind of stained-glass mosaic windows with uh, a variety of colors and and a heart in the middle It's really it's really kind of cool. And I saw one today on my way here that uh, on 7th Street, you can go check it out um, and uh, It had the beautiful vivid colors of uh, kind of a stained-glass window motif and um, there was, but there was something really special about this one that I think really seemed to relate to our text today. And, um, and as I thought about it, I was reminded and I don't know as I need to remind you because you know, and I don't really have to tell you, and you know that all across our world right now, there are men, there are women, there are children trying to find something to satisfy their lives. And we see chaos erupting all over, even in our own lives, when those things when we that we at least assumed were stable and somewhat satisfying, when they're taken away, and the rug is swept out from underneath our feet, and oh, welcome to the world of COVID-19 for right now. Um, now, it, but it doesn't take a pandemic to do that, does it? I mean, we all have brokenness in our lives. And the thing about a pandemic, the thing about a major crisis like this is that it makes us feel all those other things that much more keenly, doesn't it? And that basically is like broken shards of glass. Once beautiful, put together in a beautiful picture And they're all strewn all over the place in an act of violence. And we hate to admit that. And what we also hate to admit is that even when we're trying to pick up the pieces ourselves and put them back together, it's not the same. Something is still missing. And the heart that's in the middle of all of that still has a God-sized hole in it, as one theologian said. And so we try of ourselves to fill that hole with all sorts of things and the attempt to fill our lives to find satisfaction. It's it's an act of of worship. So in our text today, as we look at John chapter 4, Jesus is going to have a visit with someone. Someone we probably wouldn't of ourselves pick to talk to. um, And what Jesus finds... As he finds broken glass. He finds someone who is trying, t- trying to drink all sorts of water but continues to be thirsty. But when he offers her a drink of living water, she is not only satisfied, the pieces. Of glass start to be put back together. And not only is she satisfied, but a whole arable of land, a whole countryside of dormant seeds, spiritually speaking, gets watered, gets satisfied, and is ready for harvest. So this is amazing An amazing story. So if you're ready for it with me, let's go into John chapter four this morning because worship in spirit, in truth, is in Christ. We'll read the first 15 verses to start us off. John chapter four, verses one through 15. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Okay, so this is, it's off to a really interesting start, isn't it? And here's what we're going to find as we get going. First, only Jesus can satisfy our ultimate thirst. Now, in John chapter 4, Jesus' ministry begins to shift again. And it begins to shift away from Jerusalem for a little while because, frankly, the temperature of the air in Jerusalem has gotten a little too hot because of his growing popularity. And as we have read and will read later in John, his hour had not yet come. But here, he's on his way to Galilee, where he grew up. And what does the text say? It says... He had to pass through Samaria. It was necessary for him to pass through Samaria. So about 2,000 years removed from this text, where we are, this might not seem like any big deal. You're on your way to Lincoln from Henderson, you drive by York. Ah, but it's not the same. (laughs) See, for the truly Orthodox Jew at the time, they would take enormous pains to travel around the region of Samaria. Why? Because Samaria was considered unclean. And they weren't just considered unclean Gentiles, non-Jews, pagans. They were considered corrupted half-breeds. Jews that had intermarried with pagan enemies of the Jews. And this wasn't just a recent development in Jesus' day. This had come about several hundred years before Jesus had even shown up on the scene. And if you know anything about grudges and dishonor in the Middle East, it's remembered for a long, long time. So Jesus having to go there that suggests something deeper. And as we'll see, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans in the text. That's a mindset that's unacceptable to God. A God who so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him, should not perish but have eternal life. This is missions work for Jesus. This is Jesus, the son of God, but also a Jew, loving his neighbor. So Jesus wearied as he was from his journey, because he was human, was sitting beside the well. And there's also another layer to this, to set the backstage of this. He's talking with a Samaritan woman. Now, again, 2,000 years removed, we're like, what is the big deal? Jewish men especially those considered rabbis, which Jesus was, didn't say hardly anything to women in that day if they could help it. Women in that society were treated as second-class citizens. Their vote didn't count. They, didn't te- they even refrained from teaching the law, in some cases, to women. But here Jesus is, talking with someone who has two counts so far, two counts against her. Samaritan woman. So what he's doing is he's treating a foreigner, he's treating a half-breed, he's treating the wrong sex as an equal. And I'll leave it to you to. And Leave it in your lap to decide what type of person in your life this might look like. But G- yet Jesus is intentionally here, in her country, talking with her and asking her for water. And this is awkward, really awkward for her, because she responds in verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew... Remember the difference here? Ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. You see what Jesus is doing here? Not only is he interrupting conventional customs of that time and rabbinic teaching, he's interrupting her life. (laughs) you know what? Isn't that the grace of Jesus, though? You know, if it were up to us, We would never have time for Jesus. So he comes of his own to do his Father's will. And one thing he comes to do is not make it unnecessarily awkward. In fact, part of his Father's will is to do what he does. It's to give a gift. If you knew the gift of God, He responded, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. What in the world does he mean? Well, that's just it. It's not an in-the-world statement. He wants to lift her gaze to the gift of God and who it is that is saying these things. Because right now she's just focused on the water in the well and the fact that a Jew is talking, Jewish man is talking with her. So she doesn't get it yet. And she actually responds to him like the heat of the day has hit him too hard. She says, sir, verse 11, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? And she goes on, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, and as did his sons and his livestock. Basically saying, so let me get this straight, random Jewish guy with no bucket. You are offering living water that I can't see. And as far as I can see, that water wouldn't have quenched the thirst of Jacob, his sons, and his thousands of sheep. How does Jesus respond to this? He says, yes, yes, I am. Jesus said to her, verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water in this well of Jacob will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Hmm, This doesn't sound like average water. And have you noticed, as we talk about this, have you noticed that the subject of water has come up a lot in the book of John? John the Baptist, Baptist baptized with water. Jesus turned water into wine. Jesus cleansed the temple, kind of a water term there. Jesus said that in order to enter the kingdom of God, one had to be born of water and of the Spirit. And now here, Jesus is offering water that when it is in someone, it becomes the sustaining source of eternal life. What do you think he's talking about? Now it says this later, and we'll get to it in its context, but in John chapter seven, verses 39, Jesus says something almost identical to what he's saying here right now. And the text says in verse 39 of chapter seven, now this he said about the spirit. So Jesus is offering this woman eternal life by receiving the gift of life from him and having her eternal thirst quenched by the presence of the living Holy Spirit. That's amazing. And we'll see, let's see if the woman gets this. It's kind of, those, this kind of water sounds like a good deal. And he's offering it to her. So the woman said to him, verse 15: Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Now I'm not a prophet, so take this for what it's worth. But I'm pretty confident that we will, at some point, develop a vaccine for COVID-19. I'm pretty confident that at some point we'll develop what's called herd immunity. I'm pretty confident that our economy will restabilize at some point. But I don't know what all that will look like and when. God knows that. But there is a great danger in all of that. Do you know what that is? We're thirsty for this pandemic to end. We want life to go back. We want things to be over. We don't want to have to wear masks forever. We don't want to have to stay six feet apart, at least from our neighbors. But the question is, will we be satisfied with well water like that, a vaccine, herd immunity, good economy. Will we, be, will, we, will we be satisfied with that kind of well water for our greatest thirst? You see, whatever the issues of the day are, whatever crisis is current, it used to be the war in Iraq, Afghanistan, used to be Y2K, used to be the war on drugs, used to hurricanes, hailstorms, on and on and on and on and on. Things happen, crises occur. Whatever else we may think of God's involvement with them, they are specifically designed, they are specifically allowed in our lives for two purposes. One, that we would know our thirst, our spiritual thirst, and that the material solutions to our hurts and our sorrows and our crises will not ultimately satisfy And that too, that we would come to Christ and lean on him and receive living water from him. For it's only Jesus who can satisfy our ultimate thirst. It's only when we receive the gift of life from Jesus and that's believing in him that our thirst is quenched. And in quenching our thirst, secondly, in this text, it's through Jesus we worship God in spirit and truth. Look, so the woman asks Jesus for water. But she's not just asking for water, though. She says in verse 16, in verse 15, so that I will not be thirsty. You could put it another way. So that I will not be needy or have to come here to draw water. Now, there's, a lo- there's some pieces that we need to put together. Do you, know what t- do you remember what time it was that she was coming to the well? Back in verse 6, it says, it was the sixth hour. And your translation might read, and correctly translated into our kind of time frame, it's noon. Now, the women of that day didn't usually go out to the well to get water at noon, unless they were wanting to avoid attention or something was wrong. And that's what's happening here. So when she says, so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water, what she is expressing is actually that she has a worship problem. And what Jesus aims to do is to expose that worship problem so that she can receive that living water. You see, we are all worshipers. Everything we do, everything we say, everything we think, everything we feel is for the purpose of worshiping someone or something. The question is, who or what is the object of our worship? And if it's anything other than Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, who points us to the Father, who reveals the Father to us, who sends his Spirit to us who believe, sends the Father's Spirit to us who believe, we've basically built a dam that prevents us from receiving any living water. That's what sin is. That's what sin has done in our hearts and our lives. We are utterly broken. We have built this horrible dam that prevents living water from flowing in us and flowing through us. But, (laughs) but praise God, Jesus is not content, not content, just to let us sit behind our carefully crafted dam and die of thirst. So he makes a simple request of this woman and of us. Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Now, that should have ended the conversation, but not if you're talking with the loving son of God. (laughs) Jesus said to her, in verse 17, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. You see, for her and for us to receive Jesus' living water, to receive his gift of salvation and life by the Holy Spirit, eternal life. Her sin and our sin needs to be exposed. It needs to be brought into the light. It needs to be named by the Son of God. But pay attention to how he says this before your mind starts running off. Do you catch any whiff of condemnation in him saying this? No, none at all he loves this woman he has purposefully gone to samaria because his father loves this woman and loves the people there and what he actually is telling her that part of part of right worship is happening right at this moment she technically even though it's d- designed to con- cut off the conversation she's technically telling the truth But not only her getting to tell the truth, Jesus gets to tell her the truth that he's the son of God and that he knows and that he can save. But she's not totally ready to embrace this this truth. So she needs to be guided by Jesus in worshiping in spirit. There's a reason Jesus says, in spirit and in truth, together make up true worshipers. So as as he goes along here, conversation takes a 90 degree turn. Verse 19, sir, she said, not wanting to talk about the sin that he had just exposed and the fact that he knew, even though he was a total stranger to her. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Okay, good. (laughs) You got it right. Verse 20, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here. Where the true, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Worship is not about location. It's about the person and the posture. If it were about lo- location, right now we would be in this building no matter who said what but we're not. We want to love God and express worship to him rightly, and we want to love our neighbors. And God says that it is through Jesus and a posture towards Jesus that we worship in spirit and in truth. Yes, he does call for the assembly of believers, a gathering together, and there is something missing Sadly, missing when we can't physically gather together. But he is saying that worship, our lives are to transcend a location. Our lives are meant to transcend a circumstance. Through Jesus, we worship in spirit and truth. So, what does that mean? It means basically another picture of John's whole purpose of writing this book, of believing Jesus as the Christ, which is the Savior the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in His name. Life that is devoted to worshiping the Father as He desires. We worship in truth. We worship by knowing what is real. But we don't worship just by knowing what is real. We worship by embracing what is real. It actually had not been in the temple in Jerusalem. And it was never the temple built on Mount Gerizim. It was from the Jews that Jesus comes, and they worshipped what they knew. It's true. Samaritans didn't know, but they sure believed what they, that they did. But those locations, that, those separated postures wasn't what the Father was looking for. And it isn't what the Father is seeking. He was and is seeking true worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth together. So she responds, because the Samaritans had also read the first five books of the Bible, even though their version had some corruptions. She says, "'I know that Messiah is coming, "'he who is called Christ. "'When he comes, he will tell us all things.'" She's almost there. She's getting there. She's getting closer and closer. It is true. The Messiah will tell her all things. Is she going to embrace it in spirit? Because Jesus is telling her all things. He's, telling, he's exposing her sin in love. And he's telling her who God the Father is seeking to be true worshipers those who worship God in spirit and in truth by believing his son. I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus puts the gift right in front of her, the way to worship in spirit and in truth. And Jesus said to her, verse 26, I who speak to you am he using that same word order in the Greek that is used for the Hebrew unpronounceable name of God that the Samaritans at least had read in the first five books of Moses. So, you, you who are listening to me today, let me ask you this. What evil, what really bad thing, or even what little white lie do you think that Jesus doesn't know? I mean, let me ask this as well. The way he approached this woman who had this kind of sexual sin in her life and this kind of brokenness, he loved her. Do you believe that he loves you as well? If he loves you, he is going to lovingly expose your sin so that you can know that through him you can be set free. But let me let's make this really clear. You can't worship God in spirit and in truth if you have one hand behind your back holding on to the precious sin that you don't want him to cleanse you from and one hand raised up in the air pray, supposedly praising him. But if you believe him, if you trust him, you'll trust that he has set you free and given you life and you can pull that hand around and let him take the sin and pay for it on the cross like he says he has. And with that same hand, you can receive the gift of living water through Jesus to worship the Father in spirit and truth. (laughs) I who speak to you So she begins her life of believing. As she does, the story turns a little bit, his disciples who who are a little farther along in their life of believing, they come back. And it becomes clear that they too are ready for more steps in moving forward in worshiping in spirit and in truth in Christ. Verse 27. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? (laughs) So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months? Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white with for the harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the savior of the world. Third, the harvest is ready. I love this book because it shows real people grappling with a real Jesus. And when God breaks into the world, sometimes we are often like deer in the headlights. Jesus sees an enormous spiritual reality that is coming to fruition. Spiritually, literally to say, so to speak, a ripe field there for the taking. And they, the disciples, (laughs) well... They're focused on the fact that there's only food available from restaurants at the drive through and takeout. <laughs> the Samaritan woman whose life has been changed drops what she's doing and runs back into town like she's found the COVID 19 vaccine and announces to her people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they responded, they went out of the town and were coming to him. She's tasting the living water. And the fields are coming to them. His disciples were urging him in verse 31, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food that you do not know about. And this great line. (laughs) Ah. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Okay, now to give these, guys, give these guys a little bit of a break, they do believe, they do, it's true. They're following Jesus. They're, but they're growing in their belief. Jesus introduces a spiritual lesson to help them grow in their faith. And they're right back to the categories of what they can see and touch. And Jesus doesn't demean physical food, by the way, or physical water by the way. No way. He created it. But what he, but he says to the disciples that he has a much higher priority, one that higher priority that ran back into town and was coming back with tons of thirsty people. My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. You know, for Jesus, doing what his father wants is more if we can use the word, delicious, more desirable, more nourishing for him than the burger at Honest Abe's or the Dos Manos at La Cocina. Church, (laughs) do we think about obedience to God? Do we think about worship to God like this? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do we think of hearing his voice through his word like this? Do we think of prayer like this? Do we think of loving others like this? Do we believe the gospel and the, and the need to make disciples of all nations to be like this? For Jesus, His Father's will and accomplishing His Father's work was the great motivator for Him to get up out of bed in the morning. It was what, it was what fueled Him. And it lined up with the reality that he says, the harvest is ready. Do you not say, Jesus said to his disciples, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Let's hang out and let's wait. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields, what, are white for harvest. There's no waiting around. It's there. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Can you imagine those of you guys who farm, can you imagine you plant 24 hours later, your crop's ready? I mean, some of you you guys do huge amounts of, of tracts, a field. You plan all that in, in 24 hours, next day, it's ready. And you have harvest season. Go, 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 go. <laughs> that's what it's like in the spiritual world. We don't often see it. But that's what's happening here. Others have labored And you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town, verse 39 says, believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. Our testimony is great but the word of God is better, a more sure testimony. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. Faith faith comes through hearing. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world, What does that mean? That means this is not a time for spiritual laziness, church. This is, just because we can't get together, this is not a time to be living in the apocalyptic bunker with stores of food and toilet paper concerned only about our need for food. And I say that kind of facetiously, the overwhelming majority of you, as far as I know, are not doing that. But a reminder, this is a time when we can actually love our neighbors, actively, love our neighbors. Yes, it'll take some creativity because one way we are showing love is by maintaining a distance and, and keeping a pandemic from going too fast. But let's not be afraid to be creative and ask God for help because we've not been given the Holy Spirit, a spirit of living waters who overflows to eternal life, we've not been given that Holy Spirit so that we could not ask for wisdom and help. We want people to know our testimony of how our seeing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God for ourselves has transformed us. And we want people to to know the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to know his testimony. And so we ask God that he would grant our neighbors, Jewish, Samaritan, Gentile, immigrant, Democrat, Republican, city slicker, country farmer, you pick your thing. We ask him that they would know with us and believe Jesus for themselves and worship in spirit, in truth, in Christ. Broken glass put back together, but beautiful colors. And back to that stained glass image. Do you know it was in the center? of the door on 7th Street that I saw I don't know the spiritual state of the of the people who live there truth be told but they at least got the they, they at least in art got it right it was a heart of sorts but there is a there is a symbol of the heart of God that is greater than a red upside down spade it was a cross cross where the love of God paid a great cost. A cost not just for Jews, though he loves them greatly and has sent Jesus from them. But he's paid a great cost for us as Gentiles and Samaritans, whether we've had five spouses or none, whether we were straight laced with our shirts tucked in or if we barely got into our sweats and pajamas today, whether we were looking for truth or we were glorying in ourselves, we've been given a never ending stream of living water. What a mercy that our eyes have been lifted from the well, so to speak, lifted from the shards of broken glass that we couldn't bring back together on our own. They've been lifted to Jesus, who is the very light that shines into those broken pieces and makes them and makes us new as we believe in him, in spirit and in truth. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you cared about Samaria. Thank you that you cared for a woman who is in a lot of hurt and a lot of trouble. And we don't know, but it seems like there was a lot of that that is on her. And yet you, God Almighty, came down to talk with her and not just talk with her, to give her living water. You came to cleanse her. You came to make her new. And God, you give this story that we would believe you. You give this story that we would trust you, that we would embrace you, that we would not only know the truth that you come to Samaria, Judea, Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth, but that you ha- and that you have come to us to save us, to rescue us, to bring us into your family, to be part of the people called by your name. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross. Thank you that you willingly went there that we might be full of living water, water that would never ever dry up, water that would never be cut off. And Father, we thank you, and we ask for your help as well to see as your son taught and as your son saw that the fields are ready for harvest. Help us to walk in that kind of believing about our neighbors. Help us, Lord, to labor in your fields. And Lord, as your word has said in another place, Lord, we pray earnestly that you would send out laborers into your harvest. Lord, that we would be sent into your harvest and working. And that our food, just like your sons, our food, our motivation, our drive, our fuel, would be to do the will of you who sends your church, the body of Christ. Lord God, help us to bear good fruit, flow through us, work through us. Lord, we can't do any of this doing your will. We can't do any of this worship in spirit and in truth. We can't receive the water unless you come, unless you break the dam, unless you renew us, you give us hearts of flesh, unless you open our eyes to see where we can labor in your field. God, please help us. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters, and I ask, Lord, that by your grace in this time of multiple crises, whether they're the big worldwide ones of the pandemic or they're, or they're the individual life, life ones of people being in the house and rubbing shoulders that and rubbing and poking buttons and stuff that haven't been messed with or dealt with, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would come and you would help them to bear much good fruit and to worship you in spirit and in truth and lord that you would make them effective make them faith uh, grow them in faithfulness thank you lord that you are faithful for them thank you thank you that you are faithful for me lord you have been so gracious and good to us continue to do so that you might get glory that you might get praise not just from our lips from the lips of our neighbors and the hearts of our neighbors as they know the truth, and they embrace the truth, Father. We pray, we give you thanks that it is your word that we can hear by faith and believe indeed, Lord Jesus, that you are the Savior of the world. And we pray all these things in, yours, in your name. Amen.